I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young. We killed 23,884 Turks, without counting those whom we burned in homes, or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know that I have broken the peace. Violent Vice contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm John, John, and you're listening to Violent Vice. And if you're not subscribed already, please hit that subscribe button and then give us five stars so more people can hear us and hang out and, you know, subscribe as well. And I'm Audie. I'm here to help this week. And also, I want to hear from you guys. So if you guys have any spooky or true crime stories, please email email us at violentvice at gmail.com. And please put listener stories as the subject line. We love to hear from you. So, Audie, today we're going to be talking about Vlad the Impaler. Ooh. Yeah. And most people know his Bram Stoker train of thought type thing with Count Dracula. Though Vlad the Impaler was never really a count, even though his was called dracula i don't really know the full reason why Bram stroker did that but we're talking about the original dracula the og himself Ooh, i can't wait for you to go in to it <laughs> well i think many people will know where dracula gets their name but for those that don't Dracula means son of the dragon, and since his father, Vlad II, was called Vlad Dracul, Dracul meaning dragon, kind of put two and two together, and he is Vlad III, son of the dragon, Vlad Dracula. So that's where he gets his name. But the weird thing is, he wasn't the first son of Vlad Dracul. He wasn't. No, no, he had lots of siblings. Several of note, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So, in a sort of Game of Thrones-esque type upbringing, where he is technically royalty, his father was king of a country called Wallachia, which is just south of Transylvania, but isn't a country anymore, possibly for obvious reasons, but... Uh, your decision's your decision. But he was essentially born in Hungary, just north of that, like right around Transylvania area. And he was essentially raised as a nobleman's child, getting all the education, all of these like physical training type things, even from a very young, young age. So all the perks of royalty then? Yeah, you know. Also, they were kind of instilling superiority in themselves and stuff because nobles like to feel important. And that's kind of their whole... Whole gig. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he, he was essentially raised in the countryside during the 1430s, 1420s is when he was roughly born. Like, they don't know exactly for sure, but it's, like, between 1428 and 1431. Okay. But, yeah, he was essentially a young lad in Hungary, knowing that his dad was before king of a country called Wallachia, which he hadn't been to yet, being taught many several languages, most of which were with religious books, essentially. He was very devout Orthodox Christian, which is kind of... During that whole turmoil of Islam, Catholicism, and Orthodox Christian. All that is like very important for nobles back in that time. But, being that he wasn't an actual prince at the moment, 
didn't really seem to do a whole lot for him. But it really bothered his dad a lot. How so? He, um, well, because he was king, and then he was ousted as king. And to kind of get his throne back, he sought the assistance of the Ottoman Empire with the Sultan. Oh, okay. Who is called Mehmed or Mehmed. Don't, it's hard to put into English words what it is, but... We are also country bumpkins, and yeah. we're trying our hardest at pronunciations. It's not going to go great. But, yeah, he, uh, he teamed up with the Ottomans to get his throne back. But in exchange for help and sort of securing loyalty with the Ottomans, the Sultan took Vlad and his younger brother, Rudu, as sort of prisoner ward captives to ensure the alliance between the now ruled by Vlad II and the Ottoman Empire. So to get Wallachia back into the thrones of Dracul, uh, he had to give up his kids, which back then I guess was a fair trade. I don't know if that was the case, but I don't know. It was pretty weird exchanging of children to keep people in line, I guess, because the Ottoman Empire was pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So Vlad and his younger brother Rudu were in the Ottoman Empire held as captives but not like normal prisoners either they're like royalty prisoners which is different in and of itself i think you can imagine how so was it kind of like what's his face that stayed with the starks Greyjoy. i forget his name in game of thrones maybe i haven't seen game of thrones yet i know big no-no but oh. i haven't John I know. John. <laughs> i'm in trouble don't at me because of that i'm working on it Okay. Takes a while. All but right. yeah, he is they were essentially considered prisoners, but they were treated sort of like royalty still there. So they still got even further education, more essentially battle training, which if you're raising prisoners, why would you want to teach them how to fight? Whatever. Not my business. Maybe they were hoping that they would fight for them then. Well, that kind of was it, and it sort of worked. But Vlad was more than a little resentful of the whole situation. Was he the older one of the two? Of the two that were there, yes. Okay. His younger brother was pretty much as the Ottomans wanted. He was very compliant and very enthused and kind of a suck-up in a way. But, I mean, others would say he's making the best of a bad situation, which kind of was. But Vlad was very resistant at almost every step. He still got all these educations and was still treated rather well, but when he would resist in many ways, he would essentially get whipped. Ooh. Like, literally. Probably didn't help his attitude towards the whole situation. Probably not. No, but they essentially finished growing up there until his father and younger brother, no, older, oldest brother, were slaughtered in a battle in Wallachia. Not by the Ottomans, but they were in sort of like this rebellious turmoil in Wallachia and were cut down. So there was no sort of inheritor directly that was in Wallachia at all. And I think his uncle instead took the position of ruler. How rude. Yeah. So by the time Vlad and his younger brother heard about this, they were pretty much full-grown adults and realized that without... Their father there kind of ensuring that Wallachia will follow their end of the deal. They weren't very sure if the Ottomans would follow their end of the deal anymore either. So he, uh, he, he kind of used his 
connections in the Ottoman Empire to move back towards Wallachia and essentially try to concoct his resurgence into rule. So very like avoiding direct enemies that he knew of and learn as much as he can about them throughout much of his early 20s. So he was on the run for the most part as soon as he left the Ottoman Empire, going to Moldova and Hungary and in Wallachia, kind of just constantly playing cat and mouse with all these people trying to get rid of any other potential heirs to the throne. So he was, he had a rough time. I can imagine. Yeah. But I mean, he, he started to gather more than a few allies. And of course he would over time. And it didn't exactly hurt in Moldova when he sought refuge with his other family and essentially teamed up with his cousin in Moldova to form their own kind of army to reclaim the throne. You got to stick with fam. I mean, as we learned yeah. in Spring Heel Jack, I mean, siblings are best. And then, I mean, cousins are like your siblings, but a house away. Yeah. But so he combined his cousin's strength, the strength in, I guess, influence he still had in the Ottoman Empire and try to get more people's help from Transylvania, but only some of them kind of helped out. And they essentially went in to claim the throne and he sort of won the battle, but he didn't get rid of the air. Like he wins the battle. He's in power. It was pretty good. And started to get his kind of feet in everything. So was the heir exiled or like what happened to him? Well, it was still like not exactly blatant who should be the ruler. So there was kind of like whose allies are going to support this person and get him back into power, which kind of made it so he didn't last very long in that first part of his rule as king. Because gotcha. the heir who... Kind of weirdly is also named Vlad, but it's Vladislav, who went to Hungary for help. And Hungary and Vlad Dracula weren't really on good terms. And Vladislav was on good terms with them. So after being essentially king for a short time, was kind of ousted again. Pretty quickly, because he was overwhelmed with the forces of Vladislav in Hungary. In which he really kind of secured more, I guess, good ties with Moldova, with his cousin. And while there, he essentially helped his cousin reclaim the whole rulership of Moldova which was taken by that cousin's uncle. And it's a whole mishmash of power struggles all over the place. So a lot of family drama. Yeah, a lot. I don't know. It's all kind of weird stuff with that. I, It's ridiculous how much is just being... Tossed just around. Be, yeah. But, I mean, Vlad still wanted to be king. I mean, it was in his mind, the ultimate birthright. Because not only his father, but his father's father and a whole long line were all kings of Wallachia. And he wasn't king. So, he he had to go back. He had to get it all taken care of. Makes sense. So, yeah. So, he actually somehow aligned himself with a lot of the southern territories of Hungary who kind of were on that border between Wallachia and Hungary, which would usually just move which country they were part of just because they're border towns. And he'd get help from them. 
he'd get help from his cousin who was now in power and moved in completely to take the throne back from Vladislav. Vladislav. A very, very difficult name, apparently. Yeah, sort of like that. But in reclaiming the throne, they essentially had this big battle, big conflict. And to sort of settle things once and for all, he challenged the ruler at the time to single combat. So yeah, Vlad the, the ultimate Imper- challenge. Yeah, like it sounds like a TV show. It's just like he had the throne, then he lost it. Now he is trying to get it back, and the only way he can do it is with single combat because his army probably was gonna lose. It would be a long battle, but it was gonna lose. But the thing is, he won. Hooray! He did Ooh. it. Yeah, and. Uh, after that, he started to use all the information he gathered about those that betrayed his father, his brother, those that conspired against him, and everything. He was and on a vengeance mission. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really. Like, really, really bad. And, oh, this is where the things get... This is where he gets his namesake, essentially. Now that he's ruler, and he is essentially increasing the security of his rulership, with all the nobles that essentially wanted to just use him as a puppet or a figurehead, he gathered all of them up into this big dining hall, this big feast, all with them and their families. And once everybody was there and eating and full and then very drunk, he had them all arrested. Just arrested. He didn't kill them all there. Not yet. Uh, I hate that I had to say yet. Um, He essentially impaled on the spot all those that were too old or incapable of performing work. (laughs) The rest there were essentially enslaved to rebuild his father's castle. And, yeah, so they... Mm, mm. You really gotta listen to or watch Game of Thrones just saying that right now. I feel like there's a lot of influences that coincide here. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but it's like this probably would happen in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. So all these Wallachian noble people are now slaves, building the castle of the person who enslaved them. And they finally finished it, and as their reward, they were also impaled. Yikes. Yeah. And by the way, what I mean by impaled is essentially a log with a spike at the top. Huge wooden log with a spike at the top. And they are essentially just skewered on top. Not quite dead until they are killed by it. So they are alive while being stabbed. Yikes. Yeah. Eesh. And it's not the only thing he used for in, well, like not the only reason that he impaled people. He's mentioned before he's very devout and very strict in his moralities. So his Did- main things that he kind of enforced was honesty faithfulness essentially in marriage and all of that kind of stuff very much against fornication and he he wanted to rid all of the parasites of of Wallachia is how he would describe it so what he did was essentially throughout Wallachia would essentially put tests of like purity of his people. So one story is that he would put a golden chalice out in the open 
sort of by a shrine or fountain or well and then sort of pull an undercover boss type thing and disguise himself and watch it constantly to see if people would just take it and steal it and those that would he would follow and have impaled and the cup would be returned wow yeah so I would say that people that were naturally moral were probably very happy with the situation, but people in that gray area were not. And I would imagine this affected the poorer population as well. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, hmm. Uh, I'm so being next... you like the last week and hitting stuff on the nose. <laughs> True true very true so after doing all of those kind of things test wise he would also be doing essentially following the church's doctrine and those that would either commit adultery or fornication would be found out and then impaled at the point of where the crime happened so for women, it was impalement through that spot down there. Gotcha. So not like in a person's bedroom. No, no. Uh, uh, you're on the on the actual person. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Which also was the case for essentially adulterous men who would be then. Uh, impaled through that spot and should you have committed adultery as a female not only were you impaled but your breasts were then removed before you died and the person you committed adultery with would then have to eat them why why ah religious extremism I, that's the only thing I can think of as to why it's mm, mm. wow yeah so not only impalement but also terribleness so now he's instilled the morals of his country and what he wants of his, of his citizens he then sought to eliminate poverty in its entirety and by doing so, he also held a great feast for all of the lame, the blind, the beggars, everyone who essentially sought charity on a daily basis. I don't like where this is going. Nope. But it's worse than last time. Oh. So they had a great feast. Everyone was eating, drinking very very drunk and merry probably the best time they've ever had of their lives at which point the order went out to bar and lock all the doors and windows and then set fire to it Ew. so majority of people that were there yeah were burned alive oh my gosh so he eliminated poverty in a terrible way. Yeah. Yeah. While I admire the goal, not the methods. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So weird situation and not the most well thought of after that by most other countries, but those that weren't impaled or burned alive thought he was a pretty moral guy anyways so yeah how would you like being in a country that did that i'd hate it i would hate that oh my gosh <laughs> that yeah wow i would just be like fearing for my life especially if a ruler is like watching a grail on a random like well or shrine like, obviously, he has time on his hands to do that. Well, I mean, he's a noble, and he's eliminated all 
threats to his rule within his own country. So he has more time than most. Yeah. Yeah. But don't worry. Because war is on the horizon. This is right around the time of, I think, the Second or Third Crusade. Whichever one was planned but never happened. Pope Pius II was having a bit too much of the Ottoman Empire and wanted to cut them down a peg. So uh, he kind of recruited as many European countries as possible to go and retake the city of Constantinople, which was in Ottoman control at the moment. And nobody was really up to the task, like at least not fully. They were just like, I mean, we'll, we'll support you, but we won't send any people to do it. That is all except for Vlad, who was like way on board, like more so than anything, like way too enthusiastic about it. So. I think he just likes seeing people die. A little bit. A little bit. This is also at the same time where he was supposed to be giving a sort of yearly tax to the sultan who had captured him and thought he was on his side. And he just never did. Sort of still resisting that whole power type struggle thing. You know, I don't blame that aspect of like not, you know, paying the person that captured you or whatnot. But like everything else he's done like whoa 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 buddy you know yeah like he's he's an extremist but still like wiggling around that gray area like he's not definitely not like pure white but he's also not entirely pure black not he yeah yeah he's not great no but not, he's, <laughs> not great at all but yeah so after a while, the sultan, who was just like, come on, we're, we're on, we were supposed to be buddies, supposed to be friends. He's just like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, taking my throwing back kind of really cost a lot of money, so I'm not going to be able to do this or pay you back, at least not this year and stuff like that. That is very much paraphrasing the whole situation. But the sultan was just like, okay, I kind of get it. You can't come here to do all that stuff. That's fine. I'll send some people up to you and they can collect what you have and then bring it back. So this is where things started to get really complicated in that whole political struggle there. Because the people that went there were from the Ottoman Empire, ambassadors type things. And in the court of Vlad the Impaler, they would not remove their turbans as like a sign of respect that most would do in the presence of the King Vlad. And since it was sort of religious to it, he then said he would help them in their convictions of their religious beliefs and then had nails driven through the turbans into their skulls. Oh. Yeah. 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 He he is no longer all buddy-buddy. Or at least pretending to be buddy-buddy with uh, the Ottomans. And with that crusade kind of thing being set up, the ruler of Hungary at the time was supposed to be leading that crusade, but it never kind of came to fruition. But since Vlad was all kind of pumped up about it he instead uh used his essentially statement to then start invading the nearby territory of the ottomans and essentially burning pillaging and mostly just slaughtering anyone who is of the turkish ottoman empire and the thing is, while he was in the Ottoman Empire, he was extremely fluent in Turkish. So he would essentially go to these places, ask for entrance, and then his army would show up over the hillside and then just swarm. So very deceptive, but still very effective 
and eliminating all these people. And by the time he began to, his return to Wallachia is when he sent this letter to uh, Matthias, who is the leader of Hungary. And in that letter, he sent that quote I started the episode off with. And that's essentially when the Ottomans got really, really angry at him. But the Malachias or the name that you just said, that wasn't yeah. the same person as the Sultan who had kidnapped him. No, Matthias is the ruler of Hungary and the Sultan was the Ottoman Empire ruler. Oh, okay. Got it. Sorry. So essentially, Matthias was supposed to do the Crusades. Vlad was on board. It never happened. So he just did it anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. So Sultan had enough and started to gather his army and just head straight for the capital of uh, of Wallachia. And somehow, some way, Vlad found out about this before they even made a whole lot of progress and started to use essentially guerrilla warfare against the Ottoman Empire, who would come across small villages and whatnot, and they would do essentially night raids, quick attack and retreat, essentially just trying to wither down this massive army's number a little bit at a time, even using uh, biological warfare, even, which kind of knew, sort of, but not completely, because he would send people infected with the Black Plague into Turkish territories to infect as many people as possible. Gotcha. I was going to ask what disease, and then, yep, it's about that black plague. Yeah. So, with all of that, every city that they knew that the Ottomans would take, they would essentially taint and poison the well, burn everything in their path, essentially using what's called a scorched earth policy. Where if we can't have this land, you might as well ruin it so you can't use it. Yes. So, very much withering away all that they would have technically have gained by invading here. Until they get to the capital. Where Vlad and his army are very outnumbered. And the Ottomans essentially pushed for like a war of attrition type thing where they surrounded the city preventing any trade going in or out so they would starve to death not a very uncommon thing in that time either but Vlad's not exactly a dumb guy no it sounds like he implemented like pretty good strategies for withering down a massive army yeah like, I, I can say he's a pretty clever guy. So, using his skills spying on, that he gained from spying on his own people and taking Ottoman empires and whatnot, he disguised himself as an Ottoman soldier and sort of infiltrated into the camps of the Ottomans, trying to find where the Sultan is. So he could essentially do a raid to slay the sultan. And he think and he thinks that he found him. Knew at least knew what tent he was in. So after getting essentially pulling a full recon in disguise as the leader, which is kinda crazy now, but awesome then. He took all of his troops, split them in half, not literally, which does have to be pointed out. Especially in this case. Yeah. And it had one force attack directly north and directly south in the middle of the night, which is when essentially most of the Ottomans were camped and sleeping and whatnot. So it was a bit of a surprise attack. And he struck a huge, huge blow against the Ottomans, which lost, I think says about 15,000 of their massive amount, which is only a small chunk of it, but still 15,000. Well, they only lost 
500 themselves in that entire battle. Wow. Do you know how many they attacked with? Like, I know they lost the 500, but... I want to say it was between five and 10,000 okay. is where he was still at at that point. So it, they were severely outnumbered, but still, they left a huge, huge victory out, out of the Sultan. And unfortunately for Vlad... He did find the tent that he thought the sultan was in, but it wasn't the sultan that was in there. It was a higher up, but not the sultan he was hoping for. So, while it was a victory, it wasn't a full victory. And, yeah, the sultan essentially pulled everyone back and away from everything there. Because it, like his men were demoralized. He wasn't sure if this was a lost cause. And he just started moving farther and farther away. And it wasn't, it wasn't very good. He almost essentially gave up completely until his closest allies, I'm talking the Sultan still, yep. essentially forced him to continue his attack on... Vlad. Vlad kind of just kept them off for a good while. They had a great long, long fight, but ended up losing to the overwhelming forces. Just like, just got up here numbers because. Yeah. It's, it's hard to win when you have not nearly as good of resources because, I mean, the Ottomans had siege weapons, armor, arrows swords where Wallachia had essentially spears and daggers and that's about it Ugh. so yeah. it wasn't going to last very well but what he did was a lot yeah. so that was essentially his war with the Ottomans but he was still alive did they like take over his kingdom then or here's the thing Vlad was then imprisoned in Hungary, because politics is the long and short of that. So Matthias, the guy he thought he was helping, kept him in prison to essentially secure more wealth and security with the Ottomans in Hungary. But the Ottomans then put Vlad's little brother, Rudu, in charge of Wallachia. So That probably had to piss Vlad off. Oh, oh, so much. Very, very much. But he was in prison. And this time, actual real prison. For a good, good while. And this is part of like this creepiness type thing. Because while in his cell, he would catch rats. Or pigeons. Or anything that was alive that he could reach. And either eat them raw... While staring at his guards, out of pure anger, or he would craft small stakes and then impale these rats and birds on the stakes. So he wasn't done impaling. He was very much obsessed with it. I think he's a little crazy. Yeah, you know, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I would hate to be those guards. Yeah, I don't think they liked it very much. No. Especially if they just had to be like, show up and be like, man, I'm just doing my job. Why do you have to be so creepy? That sort I of thing. I know. But the thing is, King Matthias started to use that creepiness for his own gain. Because the Ottomans started to send more and more envoys to try and persuade him to either join them or some sort of truce type things. And whenever they would send the envoy up, he would take Vlad and essentially keep him within view, using him as a blatant deterrent from the Ottomans for what he's done. And, I mean, all the things he did, I almost forgot about this part right before his capture, which is terrible. When the Sultan returned from that battle, this is going back a bit, after losing that major battle, all of the 
Ottoman soldiers and people that were in that area were then raised on huge stakes. So they impaled the corpses. Uh, any survivors of the Ottomans that were there were impaled. Any of the dead that were mostly intact were impaled. So there was essentially a semicircle about a mile wide filled with impaled bodies. And the Sultan almost broke when he saw that because that is truly horrific. Uh, yeah. So vile. It was all, yeah. It was then after considered the forest of impaled because it was just massive amounts. So with that kind of visual in every Ottoman's mind, the guy that did that is now just hanging out where you're supposed to be conveying that you're trying to do something. So Matthias has this monster to the to the Ottomans within view on a leash under his control. Major deterrent for any sort of Ottoman setup. And it just wasn't great. But due to his usefulness and good behavior, Vlad was actually released later. Like how much later? And that's surprising. A, a, a good while later. It was 1462 when he started his imprisonment, but he wasn't released until I think 75, it says. So for more than a decade, he was imprisoned in Hungary and then released. That's a lot of dead rats and birds. Yeah, I want to say the last five, though, they probably kept him out of there because, you know, good behavior should be rewarded type stuff. He probably still was, but he was able to do it behind a closed door so people weren't as freaked out. Probably good for both people. At least I'd assume so. Still really crazy, though. Yeah, but upon his release, he was essentially sent back to Wallachia of his own volition because his little brother had died during his imprisonment not by battle or anything but possibly some natural causes or sickness plague could be not exactly blatantly sure but once he was restored to his rulership in Wallachia the Ottomans were like no we're not doing this again and swarmed Vlad and whatever troops he had which was significantly less than what he had before and essentially they were in battle ever since he was reinstated as ruler again during which he was slaughtered at some point Vlad was killed yeah. During one of these battles, there were Ottoman spies within his bodyguard. And the consensus is that one of these assassins in disguise slew him. And that would be the end of Vlad. But to be honest, most of that Slavic region do regard him more as a hero than a villain. Because he did strike great blows against the Ottoman Empire, which they still aren't a fan of. And, yeah, that's mostly just Vlad. Gotcha. So, what, or do you know how he was tied in with Dracula? I think a lot of it was because they don't know what happened to him after he died. Like, there's a lot of different stories about what happened. Some say his head was sent back to Constantinople to display that this villain is dead. Others say that he was just buried in an unmarked grave, making it sort of unsanctified and unholy and see seeking some sort of vengeance. And others say that due to his bloodlust, he just couldn't fully die. Hence so, the vampire theory. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Got it. So 
that's I'm pretty sure why they chose him as Dracula. He was also like very charming and very personable, though very, very, very strict in his moralities. So someone with great confidence and conviction could be considered a great leader in and of itself. But it's also why if you stab a vampire with a wooden stake, it works. Sort of an ironic death for Vlad Dracula, because he liked to impale people with wooden stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. the story of Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula. Yeah. yeah. Gruesome. Ugh. Yeah, but still, like, not as blatantly bad as people tend to think. I mean, but still pretty vile, though. For oh, the, yeah, like, for sure. Killing all the poor and impaling people and all that stuff. Like, I know that was common back then for, like, kingdoms and whatnot to yeah. do. But, like... Usually, like, crucifix and stuff like that. Yeah. But this was just straight stab. Yeah. Both are horrific and, yeah. Yeah. But it's... I, like... He's an extreme version of devout Christianity. Like, the Spanish Inquisition was pretty extreme, but he took it even a step further than that. So yeah. he's following rules and sticking to his belief, but to a very extreme standard, as well as on everybody else. Yeah. No, oh, it sounds like it. Yeah. So... I wouldn't say he's quite evil, but he is a bad guy. I, I'm going to go with he was he was pretty evil, but that's just my opinion. I'd say he was extreme in his punishments, way more than it should have been. Yes, yes. But he, he did it according to his religious beliefs. Yes. Which... I mean, hard to say how evil that is. I, I'm i not going to get into a lot of the... No. Yeah, let's not open that book, but yes. Yeah. I do think it should be noted that the Pope did give him a seal of approval. As well as many other sort of accolades. Even though he wasn't even Catholic at the time. Which... I don't exactly understand how that would work. But he is both a villain and a hero, depending on where you're from. Yeah. So Usually most monarchs are, yeah. depending on where they're from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But what do you think, Adi? How do you, do you think you'd end up somewhere similar if you were raised or had gone through something close to that as well see just knowing myself i would say no but that like i'm me from all my experiences so i can't really say uh because you know i haven't lived through Vlad's experiences no but i would hope that i wouldn't be as like vile and cruel and killing people for like just being poor and all that stuff because that just sounds terrible yeah but you can kind of see how he became such a person. Yeah, and I can see why, like, he wanted to kill the Sultan and, like, the whole guerrilla warfare. The, uh, what was the term for burning as you go? Uh, scorched earth. The scorched earth policy. Like, I can see all that. And, like, he was a good tactician, like, mm -hmm. for warfare. But, yeah, no, I don't, yeah. I, I hope I wouldn't be that bad. Smart, devout, but not a, a great guy. Yeah, for sure not great guy. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> Probably not first. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I, I could almost say with 100% certainty not here first, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, but that's okay. But yeah, let them paler, guys. <laughs> uh, it's, that's all I've got today what do you think uh, you have anything else um 
I, do, I don't think so. I mean, Vlad, Vlad's just kind of terrible in my book, but... Ah, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, so, so it was a lot of stuff back then, so... True. Yeah. True. Such a different world that we live in. Yeah. Well, if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you are. Yes. Which is... Sort of a bumpkin saying, I guess. <laughs> I've heard it more than a few times. Yeah. Well, anywho, should I take us out? You know what? You go ahead. I I need drinks. I have talked so much. All right. So thank you guys for listening to File and Vice. You can email us if you have any spooky true crime stories or just, you know, want to get into contact with us at vice at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook instagram and twitter facebook violent vice podcast same with instagram and then twitter is at violent vice and you can also if you want to go above and beyond and be so thankful you can support us uh, monetarily on patreon at patreon.com backslash violent vice we really appreciate everyone listening and this is just so cool that we get to do this on a weekly basis yeah i always have fun with these yeah and I mean, it's a reason for me to learn something, and I feel a little smarter because yeah. of it, at least. But yeah, if you support us on Patreon, too, we have a couple extras just for doing that. So. Oh, yeah, we have more stories on the Black Eyed Kids and oh. a couple <laughs> a couple of other things, too, that you guys can take a look at. And we're, ha- we're having a, a couple things on, in the works as well. Yeah, so support if you can. But thanks for listening. Yes, thank you guys. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you. Thank you.